Welcome to Leveraging Leadership, where we unpack the art of business leadership. I'm your host, Emily Sander, C-suite executive turned leadership coach. Julie, how are you? How's it going? Good. How are you doing, Emily? I'm doing well. The week is, it's um, fast and furious, <laughs> lots of things moving around, but in a good way. All the, all the things are good, so I'll take it. Um, anyway, one of the good things is being able to speak with you, so thank you so much for, uh, for being on. Um, we have a little bit of a similar story, so not exactly the same, but I was, uh, I was adopted from South Korea and brought over to the States at five and a half months old. Um, and brought up in Seattle. And uh, learning about you, you have, you come from Vietnam and I think um, had a very kind of humble beginning there and then made your way uh, to America at a, a young age too. So uh, can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah. So a really important part of my identity is that I, I, I'm a Vietnamese boat person. I, uh, my father had, after the war, my father was sentenced to re-education camp, a communist re-education camp for three years. And after he got out, he said, we need to leave. We need to leave Vietnam. And so in 1979, as a two-month-old baby, we fled. My parents and I fled Vietnam. And then our first port was in Seattle. And my parents founded the first privately owned Vietnamese language newspaper in the 1986. So I always think of them as the hustlers among hustlers. <laughs> yeah. Wow. That's that's crazy. And I think, you know, we're such a product of our upbringing. And most people think about that as, you know, my, the parents I had and the school I went to and, and the city I grew up in. But um, your story kind of takes it to a whole whole other level. Um, and I'm curious, too. So so I'm thinking about this and wars kind of affected both of our trajectories. So the Korean War and the Vietnam War. I was just, just curious, what are your thoughts on the Vietnam Yes. And so, and actually I, um, so I actually went in and did academic studies about the Vietnam War. So as an undergraduate, I, I got curious about the South Vietnamese military perspective of the Vietnam War because I, I was seeing in all of the history and media portrayals that the Vietnam War is between the Americans and the Vietnamese. And yet the Vietnamese are de facto the North Vietnamese, the communists. Yep. And so I'm just like, oh, where's the South Vietnamese perspective in all of this? And I started to uncover really rich stories. And I interviewed my father and his and his friends who were veterans. And I often look at Korea and I see that as like an alternative history, right? Because in Korea, they, there's the divide of North Korea and South Korea. And then South Korea became this huge explosion of K-pop and is now is just influencing on um, the economy and Samsung, you know, it's, it has so much economic might in such a short period of time. And then there's Vietnam, which North, North Vietnam took over South Vietnam and there's no V-pop, right? No, <laughs> right. And, um, and so an important part of my identity is actually being a refugee. And because my parents founded a Vietnamese newspaper, I was always told from a very, very young age that we are proud of being refugees. And to be a refugee is not only, I think, to be resilient, but also hopeful. Because I think resilience is, is oftentimes it's like, oh, despite all the challenges we have yeah. overcome. And I think that hopeful and optimistic is this other layer of just like, and we can overcome it. Wow. Right. Yeah. And and I, I was actually just chatting with a um, this Vietnamese American who was born here. And I've told her, yes, my parents really taught me that this is what they modeled that refugees, it's being a refugee is something to be proud of. And she said, you know, my parents didn't teach me that. Mm -hmm. And I understand that that's actually pretty unusual because even my, my father would say, 
there are a lot of people who um, who don't want to admit that we're refugees. Oh, interesting. Like it's like, and it's like, but we are. And that's something, look at all that we have accomplished. And so I think that, um, I think I also read somewhere that Vietnamese are just in general, very optimistic people. And I definitely have that, uh, that sense. So, um, but, you know, going back to the Vietnam War, I feel that one of the things that I'm really passionate about now is helping people understand another way of looking at the Vietnam War. Um, and that also influences my later work, which I'll tell you about. And that is when we, because the, the, in the U.S., people, Americans will say to me, oh, I'm so sorry what we did to your country. Mm. And I have to say, you know, we were on the same side. Yeah, we're our allies, yeah. <laughs> right? And that there are like 2 million of us here. And we're here not because America is so great. And, and, and there's this allure of the American dream. It's actually because we were escaping political oppression. Yeah. And, and so when we look at this, um, when we think about the, the immigration story and refugee story, there's, pu- there's pull factors like, oh yes, we want to come here for economic mobility. And then there are push factors. What are we fleeing? And I often think about Warshan Shire, this Somali British poem, uh, poet who wrote, no one puts their child on a boat unless the water is safer than the land. Oh, wow. Yes. Yeah. Right? And that's where, because actually even in that, um, with the pool factors of people come here for economic mobility, it really centers America. Yeah. Right. It no. continues to be like, America's amazing. <laughs> right. And it doesn't take into account, like, why would we leave? Why would we leave? Because actually my parents are both upper middle class. Yeah. And yeah. Vietnam, they had a great life in Vietnam. You know, they're like, yeah, you know, reeducated and all. Of right. That. Right. Yeah. And so, yeah. That's interesting because I often think about, you know, you know, my biological parents uh, gave me up and gave me away. And I choose to believe that was a great act of love, but something mm-hmm. where like something had to be so powerful that they were they were willing to sacrifice um, that part of themselves. And in a similar way, you know, to put your child in peril and to go on this journey that's dangerous and you don't know where you're going to end up and what's going to happen, that takes that, you know, something has to push or pull you in a very strong way as well. So that's just, uh, yeah, lots of, lots of parallels, but, um, yeah, it takes courage to give up your child. Yeah. It takes yeah. courage to do, or to, to escape too. And, exactly. and I, I think a lot about the, when I'm kind of feeling scared about things, I think about my parents and I think about the courage that they had to have. Yeah. Well, they sound like, you know, they set you up well and were very um, informed and very involved in different in different areas. So that's awesome. And I'm thank you for sharing your background, because I know you talk a lot about thinking differently about uh, things like inclusion and curiosity and, and those types of things. So how does your background inform, you know, how you think about inclusion in in the business world or in what you're doing today? So I really take it from this curiosity-based approach. And so that's the name of my company, Curiosity-Based. And I think it's it's being curious about different perspectives and different opinions and different approaches and understanding that we could talk to, you could talk to two Vietnamese boat people and they could have very different interpretations of the world, right? Just like you can talk to another free and adoptee and have a very different, the fact that you think about how your parents had the courage to give you up versus others were just like, why, why would they abandon me? Yeah. Right. And so, and, um, uh, and so I often think about how there are so many, uh, we also have choices 
on how we interpret and uh, the world and how do we get curious about this. And, you know, as an Asian American, one of the questions that I know that really bothers a lot of my fellow Asian Americans is this question of where are you from? Mm-hmm. Where are you from? And because I know a lot of people feel othered by this question. What like, kind oh, of you, Asian are you? Right. Like, what kind, kind of Asian are you? are you? Right. What kind of Asian <laughs> are you? Like, and so, and I, and I actually don't ever get bothered by that question. And I also understand why other people do. So I don't want to say that the question isn't valid or that, or that, that it's, um, that their, re, their reactions aren't valid. I'm just saying we all have different reactions. Yeah. And, and to be aware of that, because I think the danger is sometimes, I've heard this from white people, like never ask an Asian person where they're from. <laughs> right, that's just bad, off limit. And then which is, yeah, which life. is like a natural, like you said, sorry, a natural curiosity where it's like, yeah. you know, they have a like, right. where like and, and then, and then we sometimes read into it. So, oh, they're asking this and this and this. And this. <laughs> well, actually we can also kind of ask, oh, why do you ask? Right, like yeah. you know, what, what makes you? Yeah. And, um, and, you know, and I also understand that that's because I was born outside of the U.S., right? So I have a different reaction to that than, say, someone who is here for three generations. So again, I don't want to say that that question, people's negative reaction to that question isn't valid. It's just that I think that we all have different reactions to it. And, and so this curiosity-based approach of thinking about inclusion is, it's it gets really dangerous if we say there are questions that are off limit. Mm, yeah. And instead, what we can do is say, oh, I don't want to answer that, or I don't know, or let me think about that, right? Like, we don't have to answer every question. And then also, the, on the other hand, the other person's like, oh, I don't have to have every question answered, right? Yet, I think what can get dangerous is if we feel, oh, I can't ask any questions. Mm-hmm. I'm like, because there's, and then what ends up happening is we have this whole internal dialogue of like, oh, if I ask that, then they're going to say this, and then they're going to think this, and then, and we, and then we don't ask anything at all. And I see a lot of censorship happening. I love and, the, yeah, sorry. I love the um, curiosity from the, uh, not, not asking a question in curiosity. I think that's good as well, but also receiving a question in curiosity. Like, hmm, like I have assumptions about why you're asking, mm-hmm. but let me be curious about, you know, what your motivation for asking is. Um, and I think today, you know, people get all up in arms about, you know, the, the language people use and everything. And I'm like, hey, if someone's genuinely being curious mm-hmm. and maybe they don't have like the exact right language to use or like they don't know the words to say, but they're really interested in your in your background, in your personal story, like to let let people have a little bit of slack sometimes. So um, I've I've run into all sorts of scenarios where I'm like, oh, you know, it's pretty clear you're asking in a very derogative, uh, very pejorative way, you know, where are you from? Oh, I'm from Seattle. Like, no, where are you really from? And mm-hmm. so that's that's one way. And then the other way is just like, hey, like, you know, where did you grow up? And da da da. And they're kind of asking about it that way. So yeah. Yeah. And I also feel when someone asks me, I actually have then it's I I take it as an invitation to be like, where are you from? Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> and like, true. and and you know, it's just like, well, that because it's like, let's practice reciprocity here. And if you're gonna ask me, then then I would like to know where you're from. And then we engage in this conversation. And because, I mean, I can choose to feel outrage over a question. Yeah. I can choose to feel outrage over a question. And yet that doesn't actually help me further this, uh, the development of a relationship. Yeah. So on that, so how do you go about, you know, questions and curiosity is one facet of communication. Are there other elements where, of communication where you, where you find these inflection points of, hey, you can go, you know, in the, I'm outraged, direction, mm-hmm. or you can go in the curiosity or like, hey, reciprocity um, mm-hmm. direction. Is, is there other pivots? Yeah. There? And so actually, I, I, 
first, I want to talk about how we think about curiosity. And so I actually think of curiosity as a practice. Hmm. So a lot of, and, and as a practice, it's a verb, right? And so a lot of times we talk about curiosity as a noun, I have curiosity, or we talk about it as an adjective, I am curious, which means other people aren't curious, right? And so it's like you either, and that kind of gets into that, like either, or you have it, or you don't have it. Whereas I think when we think about it as a verb, it's like, sometimes I do it and sometimes I don't. Yeah. Sometimes oh. I'm practicing it. Sometimes I don't. And there are times where I can tell you, Emily, I'm not practicing curiosity, right? I am not practicing curiosity. I am being judgmental yep. and, you know, and I'm being, and I want to persuade that person to believe me and to see that I'm right mm-hmm. and that they're wrong. Right. So that's not practicing curiosity. And we all go through that. I, I, I definitely am just, oh, I mean, just the other day, it was just, Ooh, they said that they want this, which means, so they think that we don't have that. <laughs> and then I just said, Hey, I want to understand, did you say that because you think we don't have it? Or are you warning us that we need to continue to remember we should strive for it? Yeah, right? I mean, and, our, our brains can come up with stories real fast. <laughs> right, and but and, and like at that moment, I'm feeling all the feels and I'm like, Julie, pause and ask for a clarifying question. And she's like, I'm just saying, I think we should think about making sure we have it, not that we don't have it. I'm like, oh, okay. But you know, I was feeling all the feels. And so... um, And so, but kind of going back to just, how do we also pause and go like, what am I feeling right now? Because the curiosity as a practice, I think of it as boiling down to three elements. The first is self-awareness. The second is relationship building. And the third is clear communication. So let me take this bit by bit. So the first one, self-awareness is how do I be curious about myself? Mm. How do I ask myself questions? Why am I feeling this way? Why am I feeling really outraged right now? Right? The second one is, relationship building. So how do I learn about someone else? Emily, how do I ask you questions about you and also share bits about me so that you can react? And that's also reciprocity, right? Because sometimes people think of just curiosity as outward, like, oh, I'm going to learn all about this other person, but not share anything about myself. And that might be out of sense of humility, or that might be out of sense of just, um, um, I, they're not going to be interested in me or like, I know, I just want to learn about them. And, um, and so for those, that first two, self-awareness and relationship building, we think of that as curiosity being both inward and outward. I love that. Inward and outward. And then the third one, clear communication is, how do I listen to understand? You were talking about the elements, right? How do I listen to understand? And then how do I ask questions when I don't understand? Hmm. Right? Yeah. Because how do you ask questions when you don't Right? Understand? Like, you know, just the example I just gave, right? Like, I'm thinking, am I are you saying, are you really saying this? And then I slowed down. I was like, hey, let me understand what, where that question is coming from. And the third part is to share very specific stories mm-hmm. and examples. Because I think it's really easy to be vague about things. And so, for example, I talk a lot, I do a lot of work around what does respect mean to you? And so, and then why? And so, for example, I'll say like, why is... Someone will say well, punctuality is really respectful. It's really important. Look, why is that important? Because it is. Because that's what you do. <laughs> well, why is it important? Like, because that's respectful. Right? You go and to parts of Europe, that's right? a suggestion. Yeah. Right. And so, and so there it's like, well, let's get at the stories. Because I will remember stories. It's going to be harder for me to remember all your preferences. <laughs> but if you tell me, why it's important to you. So for example, for me growing up, my mom was always late picking me up from school. 
And I felt a lot of shame because the school staff had to wait for me. And I understood she was working. I understood that. I wasn't angry, but I felt a lot of anxiety. Mm, And so, and I was like, when I grow up, I'm not going to do that. And I still feel a lot of anxiety around time. I can't help it. I'm literally like, when is this going to end? Are we going to be late for the next thing? And that like, that's like stays with me. And when I share that with people, then they can understand, oh, it's not Julie being rigid. That's literally this, this instinct that's coming in from somewhere else in my life. Yeah, no, that's so funny. Cause I had, um, someone on my team who had a similar situation as you growing up where sometimes her parents would show up to pick her up and sometimes they wouldn't. So she would be waiting and she didn't know what type of day it was. And so it was important to her to leave at a certain time. And she was like, Emily, you know, I need to leave by this time. And I was like, okay, like around, you know, around this time she needs to leave. And she's like, no, 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 I need to leave at this time. And I eventually asked her and I was like, you know, you seem like really dead set on leaving at this time. And she told me that story and then it clicked. I was like, oh, of course, like, please leave at that time. Like, mm-hmm. make sure you leave at that time. So that story uh, d- did it for me. So that's, that's a awesome example. Yeah, right. The fact that you, once you understood that, it wasn't just mm-hmm. like she's being picky. Yeah. I mean, I remember, I remember when we were doing our research, someone, I think that we both like, like, I particularly appreciate the story of like someone said they really care about procedure, about the rules and explaining. And so other her coworkers would see this as micromanaging. Mm, yeah. And, and then she realized, and she was like, well, let me ask myself, where is this coming from? She realized growing up, she had to navigate and be the translator for her parents because she, her parents spoke limited English. Mm-hmm. And so there were consequences if she did not explain things fully. Oh, interesting. Yeah. And so it's not like she just knew this. It was more of like, why do I care about this? And when she started asking herself those questions, she realized that actually it was like this from a pretty early experience of being the navigator and translator for her parents that she had to do that. And so once she told that to other people, it's like, oh, yeah, you're not being micromanaging. <laughs> this, is, this is something that she was conditioned to do from a pretty young age. And a lot of the things we we bump into are are before we had a conscious say yes. thing. So it's like, Absolutely. I can observe a behavior. I know I feel this certain way. Mm-hmm. But it's and it's bumping up against a value or something I hold, but sometimes you don't even see what that is. I know you talk about career pivots. How did you bring? How do you bring all these curiosity and questions and different points of communication into into career trajectories and career pivots? So I have to tell you that I even um, if we think about curiosity as the, the first level is pursuing new knowledge, right? Learning something. The second is I think of it as. Uh, having your expectations not met and yet still practicing curiosity no matter what. The third is when I'm, I don't agree with someone and I'll still try to listen to them and truly to understand. That's tough. Yeah. Yeah. And so I could say that I was first level curious for a big part of my first career, which is as an academic, I trained to be a historian, but I was not curious for the other things. And I was actually really impatient with people. Mm-hmm. And so, because my career pivots going from being an academic to coming back to Seattle, helping run my family's newspaper, getting my real life MBA there, then going to tech. And um, after being at the newspaper for three years and just being so, so hard to be, have so little money, like and going into tech, which is so huge in Seattle, um, and then starting my own company. And a lot of that was learning along the way. Mm-hmm. So, um, because what I observed was, what part of my real life MBA, I would bring together a lot of people from different backgrounds to do community building. And now this isn't something that I intentionally set out to do, Emily. 
this was something that was like, you're bicultural, you're bilingual, you're working in a newspaper, <laughs> we need to mobilize and do things in South Seattle. And it's like, all right, I guess I will. And I had to really fumble my way through that and get a lot of mentorship on doing that. And what I realized though, was relationships were really key. Mm-hmm. And then what I started to notice too, like, and as I progressed and brought people from like different, not just different ethnicities and um, cultural backgrounds, also from different work backgrounds, was that there were just different expectations of how we want to be treated and different language for that. And, and so, and like my, I ran for three years, this um, cross-sector collaboration fellowship, and we charged each, um, we'd bring together people from tech, government, and um, uh, nonprofits, and we charged them with creating something new in six months <laughs> with oh, wow. no money and very little time. And what we saw was there were people who did really struggled Mm -hmm. and there are people who did really well and by the third cohort so i ran five cohorts right by the third cohort we're like what is it what is it and we identified curiosity oh interesting and so the people who are really struggling were those who are fixed mindset who are just like hey the outcome has to look like this and when inevitably things changed they were really disappointed and i could totally sympathize and empathize with them because i used to be that way too when I started doing community building work, I was like, oh, I'm so frustrated with people. Why are we moving so slow? And then the people who were really thriving were those who were just, oh my gosh, look at what we're learning. I didn't know. We created something out of nothing. This is amazing. <laughs> right? And they were having fun. And what we saw was there would be these six-person teams. The people who, on any given team, if you had more people who are, who are practicing curiosity, it would uplift the morale of a team. Wow. And the inverse was true. For those- Drag a team down. The other team, yes, you're just like, we're not getting anywhere. Yeah, I guess we're not. (laughs) And and like, and so then, because there are all these middle people, right? Who just weren't, who who would just pick the vibe. One way or the other. Yes. And so then it took me, it took me like in the beginning, I tried to save people who were really struggling. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's maybe some kind of people pleasing or something like that. It's like, no, let me like make sure you have a good time too. And, and after, um, and I, and I realized I was spending so much time on them that we were losing the other people who wanted to be there. Yeah. And so Emily, I learned to ask one question. Once I saw someone struggling and they were just like, if we tell it's not vibing, I ask do you think you can learn from other people here? Wow. That's a great question. Wow. And then there would be times where people like, I don't know. Or no. Wow. Um, and I remember one person who said, yeah, I can, but I think it's going to take too long. and It's not worth it. Not worth my time. Okay. And you know what was really interesting? Because yeah. in this group, we'd actually have people of all different level seniorities. But people are super junior in their career and people who are, leaders of big organizations and i actually found that it was the people who were more junior who really struggled hmm. well yeah i mean the the most successful leaders i found all have one thing in common and they're humble in the sense that they always think there's more to learn yeah. like, hey, i accomplished these things i did these things yes yes but i'm always have a student mindset and they never and, they, and they're like 
no matter who I speak to, the intern, my VP, the founder, I can always learn something from them. Yeah. That's interesting. You, you caught that too. Yeah. And then so in that, after that, I just would ask that question early on as soon as like I could see them. And so I would ask and I wouldn't be afraid of saying, all right, don't worry. You don't have to be in this program anymore. Let's replace you. Yeah. And then we would get replace them and then we could see the morale go up mm. almost instantly. Right. And and because what I realized is if if I let them stay, they did become toxic. Mm-hmm. And I tried and I had to ask you, you know what I had to realize? It's not about me. It's not about my ability to transform someone or convince someone. Cause we just didn't have enough time and and to do that. And it's not, I'm not saying that they couldn't change. But like that one woman said, I could learn, but it's not worth my time. It's going to take too yeah, long, right? And so I don't want to cast them because you know what was happening with them was they said, I'm not going to practice curiosity here. And it's like, all right, just, I'm not saying that they are not practicing curiosity in other parts of their life. They probably are. But in this situation, they made a choice of like, this is not worth my time. And it's like, all right, like, and all I can do as a leader is try to identify that early. Mm-hmm. So I can protect the collective and keep that spirit going. And I found that sometimes people, they want out, but they don't know how. And so you giving them permission is like, oh, okay. Like I'm relieved, you're relieved. This is, you know, good. They were so happy to be out. (laughs) (laughs) They were so happy to just drop. And and I had to let go of my own ego and try to think that I could save them because I can't. Yeah. Well, I mean, I had, I had that when I was uh, younger too, where I'm like, oh, like, I can save this. I can turn this person around. Like I'm the, no one else can do it, but I can put on my halo and go in there and be the savior. And I'm like, you, you can't. I mean, like sometimes you can't, but sometimes you just can't. I mean, for- Yeah, and also at the expense of other people. Yeah, yeah. You mentioned right. like, you know, your top performers, the underperformers get a lot of attention, the squeaky wheels. You got to pay attention to your top performers and even your like consistent middle performers. Like those people, super valuable. So, yeah. yeah. And they can be turned- by the, the, because curiosity is contagious. Yeah. It can be contagious that like, oh, look at what I learned. Like, you're right. I didn't see it that way because what we'd see on teams is the teams that, um, because we had actually encouraged people to do things that they hadn't tried before mm. and that they weren't good at. And it's just like, hey, this is a place for us to, you're, you don't have to perform here, right? There's no like, there's no race. And so there would be teams where it's just like, oh, you said you wanted to do public speaking. Okay, you want to do that? Even though they had no public speaking experience, right? And so and when teams saw that they were being encouraged, when team members saw that they were being encouraged and also inspired by their other team members who were leaning in to learn something, they're like, I can do that too. It's, it's actually, you know, it's like we talk about psychological safety. It's a safe place to learn. Um, and I think of how, I mean... With curiosity based, we really try to help uh, people become organizations become learning organizations. And part of that is encouraging making learning safe, mm-hmm. which means like failure is okay. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. You can you can fall on your face and people mm-hmm. will like cheer you on, like good job. Yeah. yeah. As the- long as you tried your best. Yes. No, right? I-, I mean, because failing because you did a yeah. Like a half-assed job is different. Because <laughs> <laughs> you weren't being thoughtful. You weren't paying attention. We don't, right? not but that like, kind of feeling, but. Like, your best. Yeah. And we learn from it. Because I always think about, like, I always tell my team, we need to ask, what did we learn? Not what did we achieve? Great question. Yeah. Great question. 
What did we learn? Not what did we achieve? Yeah, I was uh, one of my favorite questions is, you know, did you ask good questions? Mm-hmm. So my manager's like, did you ask your team good questions? They're like, mm-hmm. well, wait, I gave them the answers. <laughs> okay, well, that's that's fine too. But did you ask good questions? So yeah, I love uh, I love your your suggestions as well, and I love the concept of practicing curiosity. Mm-hmm. And it reminds me of, you know, I, people practice mindfulness and I try mm-hmm. to be mindful. Absolutely. Am I mindful and present all the time? No way. No way. I get sucked into tunnel vision. I tell stories about people. I tell stories about myself. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is an ongoing practice. And literally every time you do it, you're practicing. Mm-hmm. And, you know, after a while, you practice something long enough and you get better at it and you get good at it. So that's uh, I think that's a good mentality to have so we don't expect perfection or if we slip up or find we're not doing it, then then that's all part of all part of the practice. Absolutely. And when we're also doing it collectively as a group, because I think about think about school, right? You can have the leader, because I, I think of actually practicing curiosity is everyone's responsibility, not just the leaders. Because mm-hmm. if you think about school, the teacher can be, be curious, be kind. And then there's some mean kids. <laughs> right. And then they're like the, the super kind kids. And then there's like the rest of us. <laughs> and there's we're just, please don't pick on me. Please don't pick on me. <laughs> am, am I going to be, but am I going to like advocate on someone who's being picked on? I don't know. But then you were kind of looking to see that critical mass and where that is. And my point is the teacher can say all these things and even, and even tell the bullies, Hey, stop. But there's just group dynamics that happen. Mm-hmm. And, and, and like, which means that I think we all have a role to play. It's not just the leadership's role. We actually all have an opportunity to practice curiosity and model to other people and to also uplift that, that morale and that spirit of a team. And I'm thinking too, as a tactical break, uh, tactical takeaway, practical takeaway um, is, you know, in your, when you're in a conversation with people, it's when people are gossiping or kind of like being negative about something, it's so easy to just slip into it. But instead mm-hmm. I've, I've seen conversations or someone will just nudge something the other way. Like if if you're assuming the worst about someone mm-hmm. and it's like, that's that's an assumption. That's one of a hundred different ways that could go. And you just offer like, oh, hey, maybe like he was doing that. You know, maybe he was having a tough day or, you know, I think he was coming off that really heated call um, before he got on with us. That little nudge just changes the direction of that conversation. And mm-hmm. so it might is, you know, it's a, it's a takeaway. Hey, um, be mindful and be cognizant when you're in conversations. How are you showing up and which which direction are you pulling the group? Is there something else that you suggest? Yeah, I mean, I love that. And I also I also suggest reminding people that person's not here. Yeah. Right, because I mean, I, I remember being in this a group where there were just, uh, there were actually a couple of my friends who were kind of, I don't, what do they call it? Negative bonding, mean bonding, something like that. <laughs> They were criticizing another friend. And I was just like, that person's not here. Mm. That person is not here. And it's like, we shouldn't be talking about this person. Yeah. Yeah. Back. yeah. Right. <laughs> so it was like, oh yeah. I'm like, yeah. So just like kind of would, are there things that we were saying that we wouldn't say to that person? And I actually think that that in general is a really good. Yes. Should I say, if I'm not willing, I have little rule on our team and in my mind, if I not, if I would not say this, if they're in the room, then I shouldn't say this to anyone else. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it, it indicates the people you're speaking to. I mean, like if someone is talking about another person behind mm-hmm. their back to me, mm-hmm. I'm like, I know that you do this. Yeah. 
I'm not here. So it's like, Hey, what kind of a person are you? Um, so yeah, so many great things, but, um, Julie, this has been an amazing conversation and, uh, you have so many, so many good concepts and tools to share with people. If they want to know more about, um, about those or talk to you or where to find you, where's the best place to do that? So you can go to our website. It's called curiositybased.com. You can find out more about my book, Seven Forms of Respect, A Guide to Transforming Your Communication and Relationships at Work at the formsofrespect.com website. And you can also, I'm really active on LinkedIn. So please connect with me, follow, you can subscribe to my newsletter. Uh, and um, so LinkedIn, and also we have a really robust uh, YouTube channel where I just do lots of little tips on networking, on, on relationship building and communications in the workplace. Awesome. We will have all of that in the show notes and people can find you there. But Julie, thank you once again for being on. Pleasure to have you. Thank you so much, Emily. If you enjoyed today's episode, please like, share and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. 